0: Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs.
1: Ignore the sense of injury, and the injury itself disappears.
0: I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly, and today we have a special guest with us, Josh from Lone Colossus Games, to talk about his upcoming Kickstarter project, Injuries and Vile Deeds. Josh, welcome to Undercommon Taste.
1: Hey. Yes, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here.
0: So let's go ahead and start off. Give us a little bit of an introduction. Talk about some of the stuff that you do, who you are, your bank account number, whatever you're comfortable
1: with. (laughs) Your social or blood type. You know, just the basic stuff.
2: Yeah, um, I'm Josh. I've been publishing under the name Lone Classes Games since last February. So a little over a year, mostly stuff for 5e, but I've also been doing some other tabletop role-playing games. So I have a cyberpunk game out that's Cybercore Hack. It's just kind of a little mini game that I made in Keltrop Core, kind of tacking on a more fun hacking simulator to other cyberpunk games. But yeah, mostly I publish for Five E. Uh, make a lot of monsters, put out one roughly every month, and recently been doing more and also adding maps and adventures and stuff to that as well. Excellent.
1: That we got to add as I mean, we're doing the personal thing, and I think this is something we should start throwing in. What okay. would your player class be?
2: Uh, I often default to like wizards or like knowledge clerics, anything that can do deep dives on lore okay i like it i like it yeah i really like world building as a dm and i really love exploring awesome. world building as a character as a player yeah. so yeah
1: lore keeper bard 3.5 was
2: the best yes <laughs> or cloistered cleric because they also Coistered get cloistered cleric. Uh, yes yes nice.
0: man after my own heart <laughs> <laughs> i am cleric through and through so yes so could you go into a little bit talking about what injuries and vile deeds is and uh, what sort of things you were going for with the project
2: yeah so it's a supplement for 5e mostly focused on enhancing combat specifically it adds injury systems for player characters and then also for monsters and npcs to the game so that you know you can back up your awesome attack descriptions with actual mechanics you know when you say oh i want to attack their sword arm or you want to like try and cut out a tooth or like cut its claw off or something like you can actually do that now pocket sand and <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, the and then at the, the same, at the same time you yeah. know there's kind of this common issue that people would bring up it's like oh my players they don't really consider combat to be a threat like you can just run in and you know you'll be fine and there are certain things you can do that mitigate that but there's also certainly a level of you know knowing that you're going to be perfectly fine after a long rest or even sometimes like a short rest right like monks pretty much reset on a short rest and as long as you have hit dice you're going to be okay and so having something that kind of makes you choose do we really want to fight this or not was definitely a driving goal initially and then of course adding the the injuries from monsters and npcs i think adds a lot to the game as well
1: i like that and even in most rpg be it video game, tabletop, whatever, player power creep really is a thing. And just about any RPG I can imagine that I've played or remember that I've played, you hit that mid-level, you know, and it's kind of like you're not ready for the end boss yet, but everything else, you're just kind of just waiting through because you got like your next level up on spells, you got that new set of armor in, you're kind of way past the starting area. But like I said, you're not ready for that boss yet. So everything in the middle just becomes that kind of grind where nothing's a threat, but it takes so long you've got to just go and like stomp a bunch of rabbits to build up more XP points or whatever you need to do to kind of push yourself a little further and it's fun for the first you know 10-15 minutes and it's kind of like playing god mode in a video game it's like oh the challenge has gone great
0: it's like ungaro crater in classic world of warcraft yeah it's the slog it is the slog absolutely <laughs> so what was your inspiration for this project i mean you went into it a little bit but what really inspired you to say, let's make combat mean something.
2: Yeah. So in addition to kind of what I already talked about with the lack of threat in combat, there's also I spent a year and a half running a game using the Edge of the Empire and Age of Rebellion systems from Fantasy Flight, which is their Star Wars system. I think there's a specific name for the dice system they have. It's sort of more narrative focused. Um, But one of the things that I really liked about it was that a critical hit essentially could inflict an injury and generally you also got an injury whenever you went to zero health but characters in that game had very little health you know it's like 15 so like when you get shot twice yeah you get injured like your hit points kind of were an actual measure of physical health and so like if you got hit you know you had to spend some time to recover and if gotcha. you got hit enough then you got injured and what i really liked about the way they handle injuries versus you know you can find injury tables online for player characters and it's usually just d percent and like you know 50 percent of them are terrible and 30 percent of them are like not so great and then like 20 percent of them are actually like beneficial somehow and it's perfectly random like you took 50 damage and suddenly you get an adrenaline boost and now you have 20 more hit points and you're standing <laughs> on your feet and you're fine versus like oh i took one damage but it was from a critical somehow I don't know you know you have something with D four minus two or something right and like somehow now I've lost a limb from that I don't <laughs> understand how that happened so what the Star Wars RPG did was it was still random it was still D percent but the more injuries you got the worse it got so you added ten your role for every injury that you had and you added 10 for like certain weapons that were more likely to inflict an injury for example so like i think like vibro axes or something had like you know plus 20 or something because getting hit with an axe is pretty horrible yeah. <laughs> Was that hardware system run off of these sixes? No, it runs off of narrative dice, so it has symbols on it. They don't use numbers. There were a lot of other cool things I love about that system. Um, But yeah, the injuries were something I took away from it. And then after many rounds of modification, we're kind of at where we are now, which is instead of having it be like a percentile table, you have multiple tables of different severity based on the damage that you take And then there is some randomness to that. But of course, you could always select the DM described that they were attacking my arm. So we're going to go with the arm injury on this one.
1: Yeah, I like that. So what you're describing with Star Wars sounds a lot like, and it's something I've been getting into a bit, but the alien RPG and they use a six-sided narrative die. You know, it's not a a regular D6, but the same thing. And they have the same, like they have the injury tables. And once you drop to zero or you panic, you know, you start picking up these injuries and they accumulate over time or they outright kill you depending on what the system is. So yeah, it sounds similar along those lines too. And I like how you said you can make it so where if you get a critical hit, you know, that's something. It's one of the things that I've always played with as a house rule that if you roll two natural 20s in a row, or sometimes I've heard it's three natural 20s in a row, you know, no matter what the monster is, it's an insta-kill. But, you know, if the player rolled a natural 20 and their next roll was like a 15 or a 16, not quite a 20, I always like, "Eh," you know, try to figure out a way, like, can we permanently injure this critter or monster so i, I like that because that feels correct with that theme you know again you shouldn't just be able it's a critical hit and so you know you roll some extra dice so you lose a little bit more hit points It should have a little more oomph to a critical hit you know
2: yeah yeah critical. and so and these systems aren't like tied to a critical but obviously getting a crit grossly increases your damage and greatly increases the chance you inflict an injury right there's something else i was going to say about that but i forget so i'm sure it'll come up <laughs> later. That's kind of
0: like the basis behind the house rule for critical hits dealing max base damage plus the die roll as opposed to just doubling the roll or just doubling the dice. Because if you roll low on your dice, then suddenly the crit didn't actually mean anything. You know, yeah,
1: yeah, I rolled ones, (laughs) you know,
0: you get a crit with your great axe and then you roll a one on your D12. Yeah, it doesn't feel good.
1: No, it really doesn't.
0: Whereas you just set it as base 12 plus a D12, plus your modifiers, then
2: it actually feels right. And that's kind of how 4E works. Yeah, fourth edition kind of did that so like magic weapons the bonus damage was only on crits but when you got a crit you always matched the weapon dice and then you added more and then if you had like a vicious weapon it would add another die or brutal critical i think added more dice yeah
1: and i also like one of the things you mentioned that you got a lot of your ideas and stuff from the star wars things which is great because i did want to bring that up because a lot of your things remind me of some of the other games um like you have a stagger type thing which basically makes your player they don't take any extra hp damage but their turn goes to the end of the initiative order that's a condition you see like in darkest dungeon 2 limb injuries and things like that kind of reminded me things of like XCOM or even like fallout 1 or 2 where you could target a limb and kind of like limit what they could do or how they could act kind of had that feeling like yeah i'm really feeling how this lines up it it felt really good
0: it's not just fallout 1 and 2 that's still a thing in the fallout games yeah with, with vats you can target the arms to make them drop weapons or legs to cripple them and make them Right. stop them moving or shoot them in the head and reduce their accuracy Perception. or whatnot. Yeah,
1: but no it has that feeling, like I said, it's definitely especially when it's a beefier opponent you know, and that's the thing as a party could actually go after a beefier opponent if they fought strategically and yeah. tried to target specific yeah. areas to kind of break down their opponent first.
2: Yeah, I've definitely found the injury systems in a single combat often benefit the players because adding all of these debuffs to your enemies is really strong. It's when you get into multiple combats in a row that the party really starts to suffer. And so, you know, you you get into these interesting scenarios where the party has to make a decision. Do we keep going or do we stop for a few days and, and rest these off or do we heal them and kind of push through the lasting pain? Right. And I, I love that you
1: bring that choice to your players because again, it shouldn't just be a slog. You shouldn't like, oh, we'll rest resting should cost the party something because again generally time yeah. should be of the essence you know and again likewise there should be a choice to rest you shouldn't just be like yeah i can just roll through whatever so yeah that should always be at least a little bit of a dilemma. Do, do we rest now or do we want to rest later do we want to save that time and those resources or can we go ahead and push what we're doing now so that should always be you know a consideration in my mind
0: and especially since in your system as i read it depending on the severity of the injury it takes A certain amount of extra time to heal. So it suddenly is no longer the truth that we just go and we take a long rest and everything is fine. You know, there's still that we could push on, but the injury I have right now is going to take three long rests to clear. If we keep going, I could end up with something that can lay me up for six or eight or 12 long rests yeah. yeah. And, so, and so it does add a little bit of that resource management, a little bit of that risk management sort of yes. aspect to it as well.
2: Yeah. And I was very careful and, you know, we'll see through more playtesting, you know, what people think of this, but I was very careful to make sure that the injuries are often kind of severe in the moment, but once you've gotten past a certain point, you know, you've kind of figured out how to deal with it for now, it's more that so the effect might wear off, right? So like a lot of the lowest severity, you know, you might have an issue for the encounter or until you finish a short rest. But after that, the effect is gone, but you still have that injury for a couple of days, right? And so if you get another injury at that severity, it automatically gets bumped up to the next severity. And then now, you know, you have to deal with something worse and so on. And so, of course, it more becomes a point of it's not, oh, I have so many debuffs, I just can't do anything anymore. It's the next injury I get could kill me, right? Right. And so do we keep going or do we wait and, you know, hopefully avoid something that horrible happening? And of course, you can remove them more quickly, but at some cost right now something
1: i would actually like a a little bit of a rules clarification on if you don't mind you have a couple status effects in there that i really like one was like a bleed or like a sprained ankle or type things but they say you can wait or you know if you take your next turn that next action you'll take it was like 1d6 damage for whatever Would that count outside of combat as well? Something like Final Fantasy VII where you're poisoned and if you don't treat that poison, you're still like walking through the map, pinging hit points, and it's like, hey, wait. Yes.
2: Yeah, some of those injuries, if you don't treat them right away, you're basically just going to be unconscious after combat because it goes through your hit points quickly. Um, Of course, you don't take an action, then you can move for free, right? But if you're running yeah, you're gonna keep bleeding out. Gotcha. Um, Okay. So you
0: talked a little bit about healing these injuries. Can you go into a little bit of detail on how exactly you heal these injuries or how you can recover and the role that say magical healing plays in recovering from these injuries?
2: Yeah. So I guess the natural way of healing. So the number of rests that it requires, assumes you have some medical attention, someone in your party is proficient with medicine, or at least you have like a healer's kit or something that you can at least bandage your wounds and provide a splint or whatever you need. Without that, it would be doubled. So if you rest and just let it heal naturally, then you're going to be fine. There's no lasting effect or anything from that. If you want to have it recovered more quickly, and some of these, you really do want to have them recovered faster, just because you don't want to be walking around with um, internal bleeding that injury for
0: the entire <laughs> yeah.
2: day, or some of them do last beyond a long rest. Some of the very severe ones are pretty awful. So someone can make an action to make a medicine check. And it's a pretty tough DC. But if you get within five of that, then you can at least try again the next round and they'll ignore the effects for a round. So it can help in combat especially or as has happened in my party if, if you're the healer and you have to make a medicine check on yourself and you're bleeding out so every time you take an action you lose hit points if you get at least get within five you're going to not lose health the next round which gives you another round to try heal. yeah yeah so essentially if you make that medicine check then you can remove the effects of the injury but you get a lasting effect based on the severity of the injury and that just sort of represents yes you've dealt with the main problem, the person's not as much of risk of getting a worse injury in the future just because they're not actively dealing with that, but their body is still recovering and so it's going to take some time. And because they're pushing themselves and they're still going out fighting and not just Resting. I mean, technically, there's no mechanical difference between taking a long rest and like taking a whole day to rest. Right. But usually, if people are worried about it, then they'll just take the time and rest. So, you know, it represents that you're not fully at fighting capacity. And the same thing happens when you heal with magic. When you use a spell or a potion as part of that, you can still restore hit points. It was important to me to keep the action that you use to cast a healing spell and the action you used to make the medicine check the same because i don't want it to kind of be this oh the healer has to be constantly healing people and that's all they get to do so i made that part of the same action and they'll get hit points back that restores their stamina and then also you can per level of the spell you get a bonus to your medicine check so if you are a magical healer yeah you're a lot better at potentially removing an injury mid-combat or just quickly and then of course you know i like to flavor it as well your body is not intended to heal from an injury even if you know you could flavor in world as you know you have perfectly removed this injury and like there's no sign of it anymore you don't have a splint or like bandage or anything perfectly healed but your body is kind of exhausted because you have drawn on its natural healing ability beyond what it's supposed to do and so you still have something left over that your body is just not quite there, you have that lasting effect. So, something like regenerate obviously should heal any injury, but you're still going to have that lasting effect from it. So, I would say something like regenerate, you'd just skip the medicine check entirely and you just succeed. Okay. But, um, you know, well, I mean, which is
0: appropriate it. for uh, what is it, a sixth or seventh level spell? Sixth, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's pretty a pretty up,
2: substantial honk yeah. of magic. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you get like one per day or I'm, two per I'm day. Oh, there's
1: a drop wish. I wish yeah. my sprained ankle was better yeah okay yeah no you you gotta roll a medicine (laughs) check (laughs) yeah no i like that how did you determine at what level to set your injuries and the damage because like you said a lot of these they don't seem like much but you know again you start rolling a 1d6 each turn and these can add Mm -hmm. up really really fast
2: yeah so the thresholds for the injuries the amount of damage you need to take to get one those were originally set as a percentage of max health which very quickly became obviously unwieldy because you'd have to recalculate every single time you leveled up. And uh, you know for monsters, you'd have to calculate it for every single unique hit point. So that got converted into kind of like the nearest rounded to five and then sort of set with various hit point thresholds by like kind of 50s, I think, or 25s. Okay. And that kind of approximates that curve relatively well so they're set up so that at low levels like player characters are basically never going to instantly gain a really high severity injury because it would be like 300 percent of their health and yeah. they would already be dead anyway well, we're not going to uh, class
1: along of a level two player not doing it
2: <laughs> yeah uh, and i did suggest maybe you don't use the really high level injuries yeah. at low levels because five hit points is like your entire hit point pool and yeah. if you take that as an action that that just doesn't seem fair so I suggest waiting until you yep, have enough, now we're talking some two E stuff <laughs> yeah, until you have enough hit points in party to actually kind of pull those out. But you know, you can, if you really want a lethal game, you can absolutely do it. Yeah. Uh, I just probably wouldn't. And then for the like, how bad the injuries are. Yeah, it's kind of based on what seems like it's actually going to have an effect. But also without being like utterly debilitating for the level yeah. that I expect people to start getting them at.
1: I was going to say at the beginning of your book, you do note that by and large, you really shouldn't use these for players who have under 50 hit points. And yeah. that's going to average out to probably between level seven, level 10 ish, depending on, yeah. you know, and that's class that's and...
2: for the, the really high, like the third, third, I think, level th- third yeah. through like fifth or something. Yeah.
1: So these are definitely, like I said, not so much for your one through fives,
2: but your little. Yeah. a little further on start getting yeah. some magic items yeah. fifth level start throwing some injuries in fifth level your fighters and paladins and barbarians for sure probably are gonna have a, over 50 and then absolutely i would not use it if anyone in the party is under 25 hit points because yeah they're absolutely brutal at that point
0: <laughs> yeah i can definitely see that because there are some of these injuries that are really nasty <laughs>
1: Yeah, they are. But I love the detail. I love that they're there. Just, you know, again, they sound bad, but they should sound bad. Because, I mean, you're getting pummeled right. in combat, you know? It's not like you're not doing a slap fight, you know? You're bashing each other with clubs yeah. and swords. And yeah.
2: And what I've found is, and this is exactly how I intended it to work, so I'm super happy that it's working this way, is that typically you only get setback severity. And in fact, while you are conscious, you can only get setback severity injuries. It's just if you are already injured, then you get a higher level injury. So right. the intent is you will kind of stack up these severities as you go through combat and if you're cautious or you know take your time to rest or heal between combats then you won't necessarily be uh racking up a bunch of injuries at higher levels or if you fight you know if you're like a level six and you're fighting a cr nine dragon yeah you (laughs) might get a handicap injury right away (laughs) right like their breath weapons do like 60 damage.
1: Yeah, they're just, you yeah. are wrecking guy. One of the last campaigns I played before the pandemic started, you know, we had a bunch of characters of like level three and four. And we came across the green dragon. and I'm like, dude, run, we can't fight this. And they're like, no, we're going to like, no, dude, run. And so like one breath weapon, TPK. We're like, and, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's the party. <laughs> yep. I love in here, you know, just kind of hinting along, along the lines of some of the stuff that they can find in the book. Some of these injuries, like I said, that are on the more severe side, you instantly fail one of your death saves. And it's like, ooh, oh, that's just, that puts the fear of some god into you.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would do it. You really don't want to hit zero because all of a sudden it only takes two bad rolls to kill you.
2: Yeah. Or a nat one. Or a nat yeah. one, yeah.
0: One. Or,
1: I, or for someone, it, or someone
0: coming up and smacking you with a stick, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And again, that kind of goes. These injuries have that feel of emergency. Again, they are something pivotal. They do turn battle. And I love that because it makes it where you're like, okay, you know, I can take the swing or do I want to take cover? Extra damage, extra cover. What's my hip pull at? You know, and you start pondering more and it should be something you fret over. There should be just a touch of anxiety at the table. (laughs)
2: It really changes the dynamic of fighters, especially, and barbarians and rangers. Basically, all of the martial classes feel so much better. That was one of the main pieces of feedback I've gotten from playtesters so far is that when you play a fighter normally, or a barbarian, right? Unless you're playing like a battle master, every turn is the same. You attack, right? what the attack outcome is just how much damage you do with the injury systems for the pc's enemies right now it's like okay i'm gonna try and disable their sword arm or i'm gonna try and prevent it from using its breath weapon by like stabbing it in the throat right and then of course there are also special injuries that can just kind of cover anything else that's not already covered so one example is you know a player of mine wanted to make it so that someone couldn't call for help so, okay great we'll call it like a silencing strike do like a throat punch or whatever yes. probably you know shouldn't be able to to do it with a dagger. I guess you could hit him with a pommel, but Pommels you know, the, yeah. <laughs> dagger to yeah. the throat should just kill you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, generally, but yeah. So you know, it kind of covers all of those other side things. So if you're like, oh, I want to do this really cool maneuver that would like debuff this enemy in this way. How can I do that? The GM can just go, okay, yeah. I think that's dangerous severity injury. So you need to get this much damage with your action and go for it. I like it.
0: So can you go into a little bit about how you would actually go to specifically try and inflict an injury because it has a lot of feel of the called shot systems that you see in some yeah, games does.
2: yeah i think it's a lot better than the old editions called the shots which were just a huge attack penalty and often didn't work out very well yeah. but yeah it's very much like that essentially i guess there are two ways of doing it one way it would just pure mechanics would be okay i'm taking the attack action i'm declaring my intent to injure and i want to go for their attacks and we'll say i'm going to attack their sword they have two weapons like a sword and a scimitar or something you know you could choose or if it's like a natural so if you have, like, a monster, like a dragon that has, like, claws and wings and tails, you could choose which weapon you want to go for. And then you would roll your attacks, roll your damage, compare the total damage against their threshold, and if you meet it, then you inflict the injury. So that would just be pure mechanics. Descriptively, of course, you could go, okay, I'm going to run up and I'm going to, like, stab it in the foot and see if I can, you know, reduce its mobility. And then, the, you know, GM would go, okay, that sounds like you're trying to inflict a mobility injury. And, you know, then you'd go ahead and make your attacks... Describe your attack role and then deal your damage. And then if you inflict the injury, then, you know, the GM or you could describe how, you know, let's say, okay, you got a handicap severity injury. How does that look versus like, okay, you got all the way up to maimed. So, you know, it's not going to really be walking anywhere. It's going to be super slow. Describe how that looks. So I think there's a lot more opportunities to encourage description. And if you're already describing things now, you just have mechanics to go, okay, yeah, that's what that's going to do. And then the other, I guess the other mechanical part is there is a bit of a gamble. So obviously injuries are great. And they have a lot of mechanical effect. So there needs to be, or at least I think there probably should be, some mechanical trade-off to it. And so my flavoring of the damage loss that you see on injuries and lower hit point monsters just don't have that. Otherwise, it would just not make sense to injure them almost because you're more effective at just hitting them three times and killing them. So you may as well allow them to injure and do full hit point damage. But higher level monsters have a bunch of hit points and it's often more efficient to injure them because if you get enough injuries on them you can try and do a death blow which kills them outright and so there is this damage loss mechanic we'll see i think playtesting, you know we'll find out if that's the best way to do it or if there's another trade-off that we could do but currently it's set up that way and the way i flavor it is you are putting your all into physically hurting them and hit points are not physical health hit points are stamina and so if they cannot avoid the attack then it's not going to affect their stamina as much, right? So you actually hit them with the attack, which means that they still have some of that stamina left to try and avoid a future blow, but, you know, you physically harmed them, so you, they have this injury. Um, no, and that- I think, generally speaking, the injuries are going to be worth the trade-off, but there may be some cases where your tactic is, in fact, you just wear them down and then kill them, so... Right. That concept that hit points are
1: stamina is actually something I've just recently come across and I've seen it a couple of times, probably in the past three or four weeks. And, and it makes sense, you know, as, you know, taking a boxer, you know, you're getting hit and you're pummeled and you're not worried about dying. But as your hit points go down, you become sluggish, you become tired, you become less reactive. And so you are more likely to get hit. Therefore, that last blow is more likely to land. Yes. And again, that in a way, in the storytelling way, makes a lot of sense that I never considered. So I like that concept, and I will probably start working that into my storytelling as I DM in the future.
2: Yeah, and it makes so much more sense when you consider that your commoner has like six hit points, right? Yeah. But a 20th level barbarian has like 250. And it's like, why does this person, can they really be stabbed like 300 times before they die? Probably right. not. <laughs> it's probably more that, you know, they could be cut you know they could take a few scratches like 300 yeah. times and then the killing blow would land because they've lost enough stamina yeah.
0: right i think it's a matt colville video one of his running the game videos from forever ago and i don't remember if this is a matt colville original or if this was him relating how someone else summarized it but he referred to thinking of hp not as health points but as hero points heroism points yes so this is how much you're willing to expend to make that heroic action to avoid the crippling blow to avoid the death blow yes and then after a certain point in the fight you run out of those points to spend to avoid the hit yeah Yeah. And that's sort of how I try and narratively run my games as well is, you know, I don't say whenever you're at full hit points and somebody shoots you with an arrow, oh, you get shot and it's sticking out of your shoulder. No, that is a crippling injury. (laughs) I mean, you're not going to get up and keep (laughs) fighting most people anyway, with an arrow sticking out of your shoulder. That's a pretty debilitating thing that's going to take most fighters out of the fight entirely right i mean
1: even just mechanically you know you're not gonna be able to
0: (laughs) right yeah and so it's you know narratively describing, you know, how it hits and glances off of your armor and you can feel the bruise coming up underneath it, but it isn't actually inflicting any real maiming injury. Right.
2: Yeah. You mentioned hero points and that just reminded me. One of the other things that I really like about having two systems is you can use one or the other. You don't have to use both. So if you want a really heroic game where the players are not going to get injured, but they are going to inflict these horrible wounds on their enemies, you can do that mm-hmm. right, or if on the other hand, you don't want to have them inflicting injuries, you want it to be a really greedy game where the PCs get beaten <laughs> down a lot. But <laughs> not my game, but if you really wanted that, you know, you can just have injuries for player characters, you don't yeah, have you to use it. it for the monsters.
1: Summon Bruce Willis and play some Die Hard, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's sort of the sword and sorcery superhero version of D&D versus the low fantasy gritty right. D&D yeah. you know sort of the Excalibur almost the game of thrones <laughs> spelljammer versus dark sun yeah that sort of dynamic but yeah that is a great point to make so another thing something that you brought up early on in the interview and something included in the book You have several creatures at the end of the book, at least the playtest copy that we got for review. I don't know if there's going to be any more in the final release version, but yeah. So what was your uh, influence in some of these creatures, especially was it the fallen angels? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I will go ahead. I would say I would estimate. 50% 50% of the monsters in the book are straight out of my nightmares. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of them is called a chain spider. It's not actually a spider. It's a humanoid that's been like magically surgically modified and had metal grow through its body in kind of horrifying very painful ways. And it can kind of do his Spider-Man thing with webs, except they're barbed chains instead. Uh,
1: So something you'd see in a Doom game, basically,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like it. That one was particularly horrifying to literally see in my dreams. But I immediately woke up and wrote it all down. So (laughs) it's great inspiration. The Fallen Angels, originally, they were a monster that I made for one of the first campaigns that I ran using the injury system. The Angel of Blood, actually have a pin right here. Nice. I don't know how well that shows them on the camera, but these are awesome. They're going to be part of the uh, early bird special, and also they're an add on in some of the higher tiers. Super, super, super cool. Anyway, so they have uh, they have these serrated great swords, and the inspiration was really just I uh, needed some evil angels <laughs> to represent the forces that they were fighting against. It was a kind of Downfall of Bahamut becoming a shadow dragon. And Ooh. so the aspect that they were fighting was producing the Angel of Blood literally out of crystals on its back. The party was kind of fighting to bring it down from the sky and then they had to fight it on the ground. It was like the CR-24 monster they fought at the oh, end of wow. the campaign. I don't know if you remember, so like 3.5 had these like colossal plus monsters. It was definitely yeah. in that category. It was massive. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, so they were just sort of supposed to be fodder for really high-level characters, but they need to be dangerous enough. So they have these uh serrated great swords can cause bleeding wounds at stack and that inspiration i guess is kind of just from video games right like i really like uh stacking debuffs where you know the more you get hit with it the worse it gets uh, up yeah. to a, a limit and then maybe like once you hit that limit then something worse happens so there are a few monsters that have that sort of mechanic not a lot because it's not always easy to track stacks but you can always mark like you know bleeding one bleeding two bleeding three right. um
0: Yeah, we ran into that mechanic in our most recent episode. We were talking about Gehenna, and one of the monsters native to Gehenna is called the Slasrath. It's this weird flying ray thing that has a poisonous stinger. And in second edition, each time you failed your con save against the poison you took a stacking minus one penalty to attack and damage rolls ability checks and saving throws and when you hit six stacks you died and we were talking about how you could take that mechanic and bring it into fifth edition and how the way that we were thinking would be the best way to tie it over is each time you fail your con save you get a rank of exhaustion
1: question Yep. That's exactly why I really
0: Yeah, because then at the end, it still has that you hit six and you're dead. Right. Yep. And it matched the narrative feel of what it was going for, too, because, you know, it's all talking about you get sluggish and your response time gets slowed down and you can't do what you're supposed to do as well as you can. And right. so adding a stack of exhaustion each time you get hit really felt like the right translation yeah, did, yeah. for that
1: yeah yeah the only other thing i can think uh-huh. of that would even come close to using stacking and that's something that ian and i came up with a while back but with some of our games that we've done you know alcohol you know drinking and, and intoxication and stuff like that yeah. we, we made that a stacking effect just because that feels right for that so yeah we do yeah, tend that's... to like stacking effects we just don't get to see them too terribly often
0: yeah because it's i mean yeah. it's a complicated bookkeeping thing yeah you know you have to keep track of how many stacks you got
2: Right. Let's see. Other monsters. There are a few templates. So chain spider is one of the templates. It's a template for humanoids. There was another I think like monstrous.
1: You had some angels in there too, I believe. You had some angels Yeah, so there's...
2: The angels were in... Yeah, so that one's not a template. It's just Kind of a flavorful bit about fallen angels. I have a vampire template with a kind of higher level bloodlord that kind of controls other vampires. That's very inspired by the Castlevania Netflix show. Kind of you know you have these like yeah. high level vampires that control just minions basically, yeah. and the minions are ridiculously strong. But you know when you actually fight a bloodlord, then it's like oh okay, this is that, a real vampire. From, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the fallen, not to be confused with fallen angels. Those are heavily inspired by reavers from Firefly. So Zaphrax is in that sample PDF. He's an old red dragon that's been kind of scarred and corrupted into a creature that literally just wants to spread pain and destruction to the entire world. The fallen are essentially beyond any saving. Their entire purpose is to spread horrifying pain and torture to other creatures and make their friends watch and turn them into themselves. It's absolutely horrifying and something you you absolutely need to make sure that that's okay with your players before you put that in your game but i do kind of love that they're also a very deadly creature in that sense because i guess kind of like the way shadows are right where they can be really low cr because they don't have a lot of hit points but if they actually inflict injuries or drop people to zero then you start running the risk of failing enough saving throws that you turn into one of them which is Yeah, shadows punch way above their CR, just like will wisps do. Yep. And then, actually, speaking of stacking effects, there's going to be some diseases. So, similar to how 4th edition diseases worked, there's going to be different kind of levels, so as you progress through the disease, it gets worse. And yeah, there's stuff in the book, items, spells, feats, subclasses, layer magic, there's going to be I think, 9 spells that are... Enchanting your villain's lair basically. So they're cool. kind of these like two mile wide radius auras that enhance the terrain or enchant it in some way. So you could have like a haunted forest, or like let's say your lair is on top of a volcano, right? Now you have like rocks just raining oh, yeah. down from the sky <laughs> all the time because it's constantly erupting now. Right. No, I <laughs> love that. And of course, the villain is going to be safe from that because that's part yeah. of the you know spell cast is like oh you and some other creatures you're gonna be fine everyone else, <laughs> everyone not, else. not so much yeah, fun yeah. some gonna, of your right minions far. might not like you so much
0: we're gonna have this miasmic fog of sulfur gas uh, <laughs> like that just it. hovers over my lair yes
1: was that a right. shrek it's brimstone <laughs>
0: All right. So the last question that I have is, what is the next project? Is there a next project? Or have you been focusing so much on (laughs) injuries and vile deeds that you haven't had a chance to think about what's coming up down the road?
2: There are so many next projects. Um, (laughs) I guess there are kind of two really just one, but there are two that I've publicly announced. One is completely the opposite direction of Injuries and File Deeds. It's the Wormlings RPG. It's a very wholesome, kids-friendly, tabletop role-playing game where you play as Wormlings who attend Dragon School. They go on adventures and overcome challenges with their friends. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. I originally ran it as kind of a fate one-shot and decided it needed its own system. So, working on that, hopefully I'll have something kind of ready for playtest later this year. That's a great way. I think there needs to
1: be more kid-oriented or younger-oriented games to kind of slowly get them in i mean DD a lot of the tabletop games we have now are great and they can be great for kids but it's generally a fairly big jump to jump right into so if you can kind of get something and kind of work them in that's great
2: yeah and then uh i guess the other thing that i've technically announced but only really through my uh, Cybercore hack game is i'm intending to turn that into a full cyberpunk game so there'll be like a street version uh, you know, physical space version of that game that uh, oh, would be cool. called maybe Cybercore Run. And then uh, yeah, I have like at least three more D&D book ideas. One is focused on, again, more like role playing oriented things. So things to encourage character development over the course of play. And then another one is more focused on items and kind of enhancing your magic items and magic weapons and the effects they can have, I guess, kind of oriented around critical hits. I think they could do more. I really like the way 4th edition handled that on that side of things. I did miss the, like, every hit should deal right. extra damage instead of yeah. just being, well, this weapon does, does cold damage now. But I did like their crits. They were fun.
0: Yeah. All right. I think I am done. James, are you done? Yeah, no, that's my questions I've got. So. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the interview. And now it brings us into the part that we love the best. (laughs) One of the things we love to do with our guests is to roll some dice on our monster mashup table and create a creature on the fly. So, Josh, if you've got some dice, let's go ahead and get started. All right. So the first roll we're going to have tonight is a d4 roll for its mode of locomotion.
2: That is a
0: three. A three it burrows.
2: Ooh. Okay. This can go
1: a lot of different directions. So, yeah. so far, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying bot flies. I'm just saying bot flies.
0: of course you are
1: it's gonna be a running thing from now on it's just just there
0: and given what josh has said about his nightmare fuel creature yes i might get outvoted today (laughs) (laughs) all right next up is
2: a d6 roll for what does it eat once again one less than the max that is five five
0: it eats living meat oh
1: Oh my! It's not carrying. It's not dead meat. It's eating you while you're still alive. We are coming up with some nice nightmare
2: fuel. I love it. I like this direction. All right. This is gonna. This is going to
0: inform a lot. Uh, A d8 roll for size. Five again. Five. It is large.
2: Okay. I suppose we could. It could be worse. It could be huge or gargantuan. We're rocking some Dino DNA.
1: We've got some Jurassic Park stuff coming along here. It could be tiny. Yeah. Ooh,
0: that would he, be terrifying. Ian
1: was, was, was very thankful. It wasn't I funny. was
0: very, I was very happy you didn't roll a one or a two. Uh, I did not want to deal with a diminutive burrowing flesh eater. Uh, all right. Next, we're going to have another D eight roll for social organization. Six. Six. Gang. Eleven to twenty five individuals.
2: Okay. I'm seeing like a pack of theropods or probably, something. Probably, like probably still would have been worse if it was
1: tiny. <laughs> the burrowing though. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. this would have been horrifying if it was tiny. Um, yeah. something that burrows again. These could be like sea worms. They could be. Uh, and-
0: you know, the thing that you ran into for D&D Parallel. Something like a boulette or like an yeah. on keg.
1: You know what this... Well, except for the size, because the size is wrong, but the, the killer rabbit from Monty Python. But, you know, just <laughs> a giant... Maybe it's a giant killer Easter bunny.
0: <laughs> we already had that whenever we did Welcome to the Internet. Yes, we did. Whenever we did our first, our inaugural Twitch stream. Yes. And we ended up rolling Horde on that one. And yeah. I think they were bigger. <laughs> I think it was a huge... 100 plus. Was it
2: huge or colossal?
0: It wasn't colossal. It was, I think it was okay. huge. Okay. And we, it was basically Bugs Bunny out in the, de- <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> yeah. That's how it ended
2: it's up. Like, I think there's an anime. No, it's uh, People in the Age of Wonder Beasts. There's some like giant eight-legged rabbits that like all they care about is protecting their young. So if you get the scent of one of their young on you, they'll like chase you across the world oh, <laughs> trying nice. to bring you back to their den. Like <laughs> oh dear.
0: All right. Next is a D10 roll for native environment. This will tell us a lot. Nine. Well, that's appropriate for a burrowing flesh eater. Swamps slash bogs slash marshes.
1: Okay, I'm loving it. I am loving this. Maybe something like a burrowing crocodile or... What are the weird toad creatures you love? Bullywogs? Yeah, something along those lines. Maybe something amphibian or reptilian.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that it should be amphibious. Yeah, like amphibious properly amphibious have life
1: stages. So maybe they burrow when they're younger, and then they can. It could be a turtle of some kind. Actually, yeah, I can see that could too. Be. Where yeah. they swarm like a bunch of sea turtles.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, just because they eat living flesh doesn't necessarily mean they have to be like uber aggressive. They could, you know, just kind of be ambush predators or whatever so
2: yeah or it's a yeah large snapping turtle that yeah. burrows you know, they, that they pretend to be islands and then when you get comfortable they just drown you and then eat yeah
0: <laughs> alright so this is going to inform a great deal a d12 roll for method of defense 10 10 hammer limb slash powerful kicks is blunt force drama that's the method reverse? of defense
1: it's nessie holy crap we're doing a burrowing <laughs> yes. nessie <laughs> it's a Leo Charlie.
0: <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, that powerful kicks that lends itself well to a burrowing creature because it's going to have the what? powerful yeah. limbs in order to be able to burrow.
1: I would even translate that to a powerful kick. It could also be like a tail whip.
0: Okay. Yeah, because it does say hammer limb. So yeah, anything that is going to be large, a solid stout, like an Ankylosaurus's tail, would be considered yeah. a hammer limb. You know, this is
1: something that's going to come up and like slap you, smack you into a tree, and then when you're dazed, it's going to go over and start munching on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, it, yeah. I see this being kind of a slowish what, creature.
2: What about like a burrowing goose?
0: Oh. <laughs> I love
2: it. I love it. A burrowing (laughs) over their wings.
0: (laughs) But I'm liking what you're saying about it being like an ambush predator. And I can almost see it like having an eating habit like a snake where it swallows its food whole. And basically this hammer limb is it just pulverizing everything to turn the once creature into a fleshy goo sack (laughs) to make it go down easier
1: what i love about this what i absolutely love about this is again one of the injuries in the book that we've described is that dazed or that stun effect which immediately drops your action to the end of the initiative order so maybe this like instantly causes that daze effect so it gets that chance to try to swallow you I i think you could really marry those two in really well together
0: i do like that as well yeah all right I think we need a little bit more in order to settle down on this thing's final form. So,
1: I've not reached my final form.
0: <laughs> next up is a d20 roll for quirks. Two. Two. This one seems to be real popular. Mimic is able to appear as another creature common in the environment. Okay.
1: Again, I, I would this say... This doesn't
0: necessarily have to be a creature, though.
1: I was going to say probably like plant life, maybe like a fallen log or maybe like a clump of grass or something like that. And that would lead I mean, to it still being alligator Yeah. Yeah. What if I mean, it's something
0: a like a treant? Yeah. Where most of it is below the ground level, and then it has this protruding bit up above. It just looks okay. like a tree. It's just a tree. And then you go and a- walk past it and then
2: whoop! Oh, I love it.
0: It's a whack a It's a, a tree ant
2: roper. It's, a, it's like a tree ant yeah. roper. It's just like its roots are the tendrils and it like sends them through the ground and then like sprouts up and grabs people. Yes. Very, That's yes. how it starts the burrowing. Yeah. Slams them against the ground until they're dead and then <laughs> drags them under and devours them. This is a
0: lot like our grove digger. Yes. Except for that was more of a centipede sort of creature that burrows up into the tree and then uses the tree as sort of a living armor.
1: Yeah, Um, this is going to be more like the uh, Whomping Willow from the uh, Harry Potter books.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I know this is premature, but I already have a decent name for it. Okay. Widowmaker, because that's what you call the freestanding dead trees out in the woods. Yeah. You know, because right. you you go to start cutting on them, they look sound, but the inside of them is all rotten out, and they explode open, and they fall over on top of you and kill you,
1: and then they eat you. Yeah, no, I love that. Sounds like what this thing's doing. I love it.
0: If that is Different, where we yeah. end up going, okay, um, because we do have two final rolls here. Yes, because now we get to make it weird.
2: <laughs> I was gonna say that there, there's uh, the, the trees in the lost woods in Breath of the Wild that have like the mouth yeah opening on them this feels very much like them
0: okay so i need a d100 roll 51 51 i
1: think we had a 51 last week
0: yes we did can be used in lieu of currency in the local economy each individual is worth 1d10
2: gold i don't know how we're gonna do this i mean you have to bring them in for lumber lumber yeah i guess yeah lumber, oh. or specifically like the core maybe the, yeah. of the tree Okay. So, Maybe so you the have to like, like that, the outside is all like yeah, it like contains ooh. There's um, I don't know if you have played uh, Divinity Original Sin two. There's a like a special elven tree that like retains memories of the creatures that are buried under it. Okay. So it could be something where, like, it obtains knowledge through consumption. And so So, you can use, like, a piece of the tree, essentially. Like, there's a specific part of the tree at its center, maybe, like, under the tree. That if you kill it, you can, like, use it to store a memory or something temporarily. So it'd be, like, a common level magic item, maybe.
0: Or possibly it has some sort of something that crystallizes on the inside of it, kind of like an amber or an ambergris. Right.
1: Well, again, it's eating living flesh, and it's going to be eating adventurers or stuff like that. So maybe the armor or the metallic parts get crystallized, and so you can get this lump of basically metal ore that blacksmiths can use and process out.
2: Possibly, yeah. yeah. I imagine digging up all of the uh, buried treasure would take a while, but it's probably all still there.
0: Because if it's, you know... Absorbing like the bones and stuff, something akin to like pearls growing within where the calcium deposits from whatever it happens to be eating start.
1: Keep going about it. I've got I think I've got an idea. Okay. You know, woodworkers, they get the bowls on the tree, like you get those big yeah, knots. Yeah, the, the Woodworkers yeah. like, yeah, they make bowls and stuff out of, what if you were saying like a pearl? And that's what insists either like the pearl, that's the bone, or the metal. And so you go and that's what you can take off of the tree and take in. It's these growths that, you know, once they've consumed so much inorganic material, they form some of these. Okay, yeah, I like that. And it kind of, what I was thinking of at first was kind of like owl pellets. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was like the, the tree version of an owl pellet.
2: <laughs> well, it isn't actually a tree. Ironically, <laughs> yeah. if an owl lands on it, it gets devoured. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just a little poof of feathers. <laughs> Wait, what happened?
2: <laughs>
0: all right. James, do you want to do the second roll? You want me to do the second roll? Go
1: ahead and do it. I didn't bring my dice over with me today. All
0: right. 99. Get to go all the way down to the bottom of the list. Roll twice on the table. Hey. So, Josh, you want to give me another one, and I'll get do another one, and we'll see what we get.
2: Chaos for who? 49.
0: 49. Causes serious anaphylaxis reaction
2: if eaten. I mean, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. No, <that's... laughs> I bite you, you no bite me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then I got a 62. Increases local gravity minutely. A herd or flock can double or even triple local gravity.
1: I like that. It slows things down. So it's more easier to grab them or pound them. And I bet I would even say it would give a bonus. That bludgeoning
0: attack. Yeah, that's going to hit harder because of that.
1: And I would say, you know what? Follow me on this one. The anaphylaxis, if eaten, this thing eats meat. So you're not likely going to eat a tree. But maybe that also happens if you burn it. So if you hit it with fire as a defense. Like like the,
0: uh, oh, what is that tree that grows in like, Tasmania that's like super poisonous to touch it and like the sap on it that drips off is oh, yes, caustic. And... Yes. Yeah.
1: That or like the oleander bushes yeah. they have like the. Like
0: everything oh, about it is just wanting to kill you. kill you. It is is—it is yeah. the tree that wants to kill you.
1: <laughs> poison Ivy and Poison Oak will do that too. So yeah. No, I love this. Oh, Poison
2: Oak in your lungs. Oh, yeah,
1: it's bad. Them. Yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> Dude, I love this thing. This thing's awesome
2: all right and they come in packs of 11 was it, was it? yeah so yeah. It's, well it's the grows. Small, small, grows. yeah yeah they're growing yeah. small grows yeah
1: oh, they're gonna look like the mandric trees you ever seen the they, mandric yeah. trees in the swamp
2: are they all individuals or are they clones like do they clone through the roots and then there's just like a bunch of them that oh yeah i could see that see like
0: um is an asexual reproduction where it's almost like a mitosis yeah. sort of deal where once it grows big enough it'll separate off a piece of the subterranean portion of it that burrows off and then grows up a new growth.
2: Yeah. No, I like that. Good call. Cause yeah. I imagine it, you know, once it's trunk is in place, it can't move. Right. It's right. so like it does burrow its roots and its roots can move, but it like the trunk stays stationary.
1: Yeah.
0: Um,
2: no, I like that.
1: Great call. Yeah. This thing's that awesome. Great. I love
0: it yeah <laughs> we always have such great ideas <laughs> when we do these sorts of things and are we good with calling it a widow maker or yeah, do you have a do you have another name for it
2: uh it might also be called like a bone tree because of the cysts that grow on it right because that would be all probably okay. like a bone pearl essentially okay. an oyster wood
1: that's
0: good
2: yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. want something with graves. I'm thinking something haggish
1: since it's in a swamp. Because you know hags are going to have these things nearby. Just a hag tree? Or, hag tree would
0: work, yeah. Or call it something like a hag oak. Yeah. Mimic treant.
2: A coven grove.
0: False treant. False yeah. treant, yeah.
2: Okay. Actually, the burrowing kind of reminds me of the like false hydra hands. Yes. Thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yes. So yeah, I like that Where depending on who you're talking to. You know, if you're talking to the scholars, the people who keep their noses in books all day, they're going to call them old. Oh, those are false treants. But the yes. people who actually go walking out into the swamp and actually live in the area, they're like, no, those are widowmakers. know, because yeah. you walk into a grove of those and you're not walking home. It's yeah, one of, one of those lot, deals. So they
1: have that,
2: that
0: colloquial name yeah, yeah like that yeah widowmakers being the colloquial name I
2: like yeah, I don't think you'd want to run into them i mean these sound like they're probably like you know c r like ten to thirteen maybe probably, and you're encountering like at least five at once probably yeah. based on like the radius that they'd have
0: i don't know, i think you could probably could make these somewhere in the neighborhood of c r five to six yeah because the it's roper like that. is the Roper's a CR a c r five and
2: five e that's true, so something like that but it it can't bury creatures and it yeah. doesn't choke them to death when it's lit on fire <laughs> when you light it on fire and you get
0: that
1: anaphylactic
2: reaction there is that yeah there yeah, is that so that's so, an issue so maybe maybe swallow, somewhere in
0: because i think a treant is a cr9
2: okay yeah maybe i think
0: it's a cr9 but whenever you start getting a grove of these things
2: yeah that would be a bad
1: day if
0: you're clever and you're careful and you can point out where they are you could take them one at a time You could clear them one at a time, but if you're not paying good attention and you happen to get into the middle of three or four of them, you're going to have a bad day.
1: Like I said, I kind of picture this as like a hag coven has either worked out some sort of deal with them or maybe had found one and kind of trimmed back new growth. So where they kind of surround their hut or their cave or wherever their coven is. And so that's kind of like their outer protection before you actually get to the hags
2: so what do you think their defense is against like long range attacks? Right? Like, do they have infinite range with their roots? Probably not, but no, I'd, you, I'd otherwise you have like someone back with a long bow. Yeah. Like, are they just immune to like piercing damage or like weapon damage? Like I would say they're probably resistant to piercing,
0: resistant or immune to non-magical weapons. Yeah, that would probably be the first thing to go onto that, because I mean, you're plinking arrows into this thing. You can shoot a tree with 100 arrows and yeah,
2: it's going to be fine. Right. It,
0: trivial damage I mean eventually they start to add up but you're going to run out of arrows long before you take down that tree
1: right now if you went up to it with an axe sure that might work but then you're going to get swallowed or bashed or both
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like it must have some defense against range attacks. Otherwise, your solution is to just stand back and shoot it until it's yeah, yeah. dead. You know, even if it's fire, right? Because you'd have to you recognize know, it, just, though, too, because it has that mimic. ability. It is
0: that yeah. ambush That's predator. True. It waits until you're deal. right next
2: to it or yeah. like 10 feet away. So you can't hit it with a gazebo, <laughs> Just in case.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely going to be a thing where it's going to wait until the melee characters are in range
1: yeah or maybe
0: it's one of those things where you end up having to take an action to free an ally from a grapple because the root came up and grabbed hold
2: of them yeah Yeah. what if the roots are more vulnerable than the tree and so you can only really attack it so like once it's active like the roots come up and they're all like out and so you can attack the roots while it's up but it can hide the roots and then it sort of becomes very resistant or almost invulnerable to like most forms of damage, yeah, yeah,
0: and I could definitely see because it is this sort of tree, sort of creature, it is vulnerable to fire damage, yeah, which but encourages that sort of let's hit it with some fire and then the poison portable. gas comes out. That's a huge <laughs> that, that lulling, that's, lulling that's them that's into great. that false sense of security. Yeah, like oh, that. we'll just use some fire and be done with it. It's like no,
2: no, you of course won't. you also. <laughs> Probably could make an argument so it could have like a almost like rubbery bark, right? And it could even be like potentially resistant to fire because it grows in a swamp. It could potentially sure. bring up a whole bunch of mud onto itself or like coat itself in water, right? To try Right, and, yeah. Maybe it's vulnerable normally, but it can like, it has these tools to like put itself out normally. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no. Yeah, that, all so you have like a bonus action. That's like splash some mud on it and <laughs> put out fire. But whenever it takes fire damage, it's vulnerable and also gets set on fire like automatically. Right. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, that was fun.
0: That was a lot of fun. Yeah.
2: Yes. OK.
0: So the other thing that we like to do is to have our guests give a shout out to someone else in the community. It can be another creator, uh, podcaster, artist, musician, whatever. Just somebody else in the TTRPG sphere that you feel deserves a little bit of recognition. So who would you like to give a shout out to today?
2: Yeah. Oh, man, there are so many good people. I really like the Cast Eye podcast. Everyone over there is really great. Mark is an amazing DM. And recently they've been doing a whole bunch of shows with other people like Lex, uh, Technomachy on Twitter. And they have such a great show, and all of the people on that are amazing players and DMs, and I highly recommend checking them out.
0: All right. And finally, before we sign off, take a minute to plug yourself where we can find you, where we can find your stuff, the Kickstarter that's getting ready to start, where we can find information on that. All of that stuff. The floor is yours.
2: Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter at Lone Colossus, and I also have Facebook and Instagram at Lone Colossus Games. My website is LoneColossusGames.com, and pretty much everything that I've published, you can find there or links to them on DriveThroughRPG. The Kickstarter, there are links to the landing page where you can sign up for the email notification, and then of course when you sign up, it'll send you an email saying, "Hey, sign up for the pre-launch page." go do that we actually just broke 700 pre-launch page followers today which is super cool yeah Um, that launches on tuesday so uh, on the 31st of may because i think the video comes out
0: the release of this as an episode is coming out on june 1st so it will have if you're listening slash watching when the podcast episode goes live it started yesterday
1: yesterday yeah yes so we are live so go visit pledge because, yeah, like I said, this is actually a really, really fun. There's a lot of really cool stuff in, in this book.
0: Absolutely, yeah. All right, well, Josh, thank you so very much for joining us thank today you. for Undercommon Taste. It has been a blast.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. A lot of fun. Very much.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email, taste at gmail.com, or send us a direct message through our Twitter account, at UCTHomebrew. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search Under Common Taste. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommontaste. That's where we put all of our write-ups. Most of our write-ups are free. Some of them are patron-exclusive. Our most recent patron-exclusive content has been our Urban Ranger variant class. And that is available to all patrons of all tier levels. So please... If you'd like to help support the show financially, come over to Patreon and consider becoming a member. Finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord server in the show notes. We'd love to have you come and chat with us.
1: Yeah, it's going be a ton of fun. You can find our podcast if this is your first time listening to us. Welcome. But you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I believe we're on TuneIn now, you said?
0: And tune in and Pod Chaser, yes. Yeah, so we are
1: all at a lot of different places. So please feel free, subscribe, and then give us a rating and a review. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of.
0: Join us next week. We are going to be not going back into Gehenna just yet. We needed a break. <laughs> we, we needed a break, and an opportune moment came up. Original friend of the show, Doctor Mary C. Crowell, who you may remember from our one-year anniversary live play. She just released a new album and so we will be chatting with her it will be on our twitch channel on sunday june 5th and it will be our next episode on june 8th so come and join us for that so thank you once more for watching stay safe and we will see you next week happy gaming thank you for listening to another episode of undercommon taste you can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willx underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at DeviantArt.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.